Some of you are probably wondering uh, who won. You can tell by the graphic who won our little voting. And so no question mark. But uh, boy, it's, it's, an, it's such an important subject for us to be talking about right now. How do we find our footing? How do we find God's path in seasons of change and uncertainty? And uh, this week we're calling the sermon Thriving in Exile. And it does feel like that a little bit, right? We are definitely not living in the land that we were building our lives in just months ago. It feels like we're in exile as we are in social distancing. And fortunately, the Bible has a lot to say about life in exile. And so we're going to be in two different passages today, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And out of that, I'm going to share ten principles for thriving in exile. And I hope you'll find that helpful for your situation as you find it right now. We're going to begin in Jeremiah chapter 29. So I ask you to turn there with me in your Bible or on your your digital device. And we're going to begin reading in just a moment from chapter 4. Let me give you some background. Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet, Uh, has watched Israel because of their great disobedience to the Lord and their idolatry. And if you read the Old Testament narratives, you realize that it was really uh, debauchery and uh, idol worship and infant sacrifice. I mean, Israel had really gone off the deep end. And as a result of that disobedience, prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and others said, God's going to judge you and you're going to lose this precious land of promise and as a result we find God's people now living in exile Babylon King Nebuchadnezzar has come in and he has placed a puppet king on the throne in Jerusalem and uh, eventually that puppet king will listen to other false prophets he will rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and as a result Jerusalem will be flattened scorched earth policy will be enforced. But that hasn't happened yet. There is a fragment remaining in Jerusalem, but the vast majority of Israel is now living in Babylon. And while they are there, they are struggling with accepting their new norm. They're rebelling against it. They're keeping themselves separate and just hunkered down, waiting it out. And Jeremiah has to write the exiles and tell them, This is actually the new norm. Does that sound familiar? And so he gives them instructions on how to not just survive, but how to actually thrive in exile. And that's what we're going to begin reading at verse 4. This is the letter that Jeremiah sends from Jerusalem to the exiles in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. So increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. All right, so in this letter, Jeremiah gives the people of God in exile marching orders for how to, again, not only survive and last in this season when they are removed from their life that they had loved and they had built and the promised land in which they had lived for generations, not just to make it through, but to thrive. And so we're going to go through here, and it's going to be the first uh, seven of ten ultimate guidelines for thriving in our season of exile. And so uh, it, it kind of just follows. There's a download of instructions here that it doesn't take a whole lot of biblical exegesis uh, for me to just walk you through. And so I have given a principle to each of these phrases as we go forward. And so principle number one, to the children of God in a season of exile. Make yourself at home. <laughs> Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. I don't know what the future holds for us, but I'm going to tell you this. We are not going to be ever back to the life that we lived before. We will recover a fair amount of it, but I think for many of us things will change for a very long time. And I don't know when it's going to get back to anything close to what life used to be. I don't know. I hope it's soon. But here's what I want to tell all of you out there. Don't just hunker down and wait it out. Trust that God has brought us into this place and learn to make yourself at home. Stop kicking against it. Stop being on Facebook arguing whether it's right or wrong or we're overreaching or not doing enough. Stop all of that. Just settle in to this land in which God has placed us. Get comfortable here. God knows what he's doing in our life. The second principle is reproduce yourself in this season. Be productive. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find spouses for your sons and daughters so that they too may have sons and daughters. I think the important principle is said in that last phrase. Increase in number, do not decrease. It would be very easy for us in this season just to wither away. And in just trying to hold on, actually lose ground in terms of what God wants to produce 
through us. And I want you to know, even though you feel like you don't know how you can be productive for the kingdom in this setting, God still desires to use you. Who are you reproducing yourself through right now? You know, self-isolation is a very fine line, a very short distance between that and self-preservation, self-centeredness, self-seeking. And when we move in that direction, we diminish. We don't grow. We don't increase. I believe God wants you to increase in this season. He still wants to use you. Be looking for ways for God to reproduce what he's doing in you in others. Who are you blessing? Who are you reaching out to? Who are you multiplying yourself into? We are still in the business of reproducing disciples for Jesus. Don't miss out on that. Third principle. Seek God's blessing and peace for our city. This is a very important principle for us at The Journey. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. We talk a lot about having that attitude towards our city and our culture. And it's very important that we understand who we are in this culture. In a few moments, I'm going to move to the New Testament and I'm going to look at who we are today as citizens of the kingdom of God and therefore aliens and exiles living in a land that uh, is only temporary for us. And eternity awaits us in God's kingdom. We're ambassadors for Christ. We'll cover all that in a few moments. But that ought to mark, even now, your attitude towards this city and to culture around us. You know, too many churches have historically, especially in the evangelical realm, which we would identify ourselves as part of theologically, for sure. Uh, we're gospel preaching. That's what evangelical actually means at its core even though it's been identified with you know political direction and opinions and been demonized and I wouldn't want us to be associated with those things that the media has turned it into but all too often historically the evangelical world has seen itself as opposed to like in a cultural war in a war with people who see things differently than we do, or who live life differently than we do. And we've postured ourselves against those things, as though America is Israel, and we're the prophet Jeremiah speaking out about God's impending judgment. I think for a long time, Christianity, at least a section of it, has postured itself this way in our culture. But we're actually the people of God in exile. We're citizens of a kingdom that is to come and that is now as God reigns in our life. We are exiles in Babylon. We are not at war against people around us. We're not even at war against culture around us. The culture around us is our mission field. We're shining a light to point people to Jesus, but we're not mad at anybody. We're loving people into the kingdom. It ought to be every Christian's philosophy in this season, not just of 
of coronavirus exile, but seeing, using it to reorient ourselves in terms of our relationship to our city and to culture around us as those who are to work for the good and prosperity of our city and of our culture, praying for God to bless our culture. I'm so grateful that I'm part of a group of pastors who have the honor of praying monthly uh, in City Hall. Uh, it's an amazing thing to be in a city where we are allowed to come before God on behalf of our city and we pray in the spirit of Jeremiah chapter 29 that God will bless our mayor and our administrators and our manager and our police force and our schools. We pray for the shalom peace of God to come to the city. That's what we're called to do. We are still a people that are called to pray and work for the good of our city. I love that we took some tangible steps to do that yesterday. But I want to call you on you, even in this season, that mandate still exists. How are you being a source for good right now in our city and region? How are you blessing people in Jesus' name? I got off on that one. I'm not going to cover all ten if I take that much time going through. Let me go to principle number four. And this is one I, I'm probably going to rail on a little bit too. Beware of false prophets in the season of exile. Do not let the prophets among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, and I have not sent them. You will find in Scripture that God uh, punishes the most severely those who claim to be speaking a word of revelation in the name of Jesus and they are not speaking for God. And I'm telling you, the false prophets are alive and well and are screaming on our Facebook and on our live streams and are claiming to purport to speak for God. Here's the thing. They're only saying, and the reason why they're profiting is because they're saying the dreams we want them to be saying. That's what was happening in Babylon. In, back in Jerusalem, there was a major false prophet, Hananiah. If you go back into Jeremiah chapter 28, you see this amazing encounter, this conflict that Jeremiah has with Hananiah. And it appears that in that scene, Hananiah wins the day. He convinces the king that they don't need to change, they don't need to repent, that in fact, God's going to bring down Babylon. He's going to bring down Nebuchadnezzar. He was finding popularity because he was saying the things the people of God wanted to hear, not what God wanted to say. Jeremiah not only has to write to correct, but he actually has to speak judgment on not only Hananiah, but on the prophets that were among the exiles. They had raised up their own prophets who were saying exactly the same thing, calling down God's judgment, saying the time is near. Just hunker down and wait and get ready for the kingdom of God to come. Some of this is false teaching, and it distracts us from the mission to which God still calls us until Jesus does someday come to return. I've opened up a can of worms there. I'm just going to leave it wide open there for you to struggle with. But beware of the false teachers.
be guided by the Word of God, not some magical, thus saith the Lord vision that people say and claim to be speaking for God. Test all the spirits. Be guided by the Word of God above everything else. Principle number five. God's plan spans generations, not just your and my lifetime. You know, we want to be a finished story, right? What does he say? He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. You know what that means? That means the two generations, that means the vast majority of people that were reading Jeremiah's letter were going to die in Babylon. Think about that. God's work spans generations. None of us is a completed story. And yet we desperately want to put bookends on our life experience so that we can all be wrapped up as the single story of what God is doing. And therefore, we get impatient with what God's doing. But God has a part for you to play in a much bigger story. The writer of Hebrews speaks about this beautifully in chapter 12 when he talks about each of us who have a great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, each of them living their life running with endurance their section of the race marked out for them. But, but we now run with endurance our race as God has marked it out for us. And we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on the end of our own story. Accurately, we say that the Christian life is not a bunch of wind sprints. It's a marathon. But here's how I want you to think about it in terms of this principle. It's not just a marathon. It's a cross-generational relay marathon. We have our part to play. Think about this. Jeremiah is writing about God's promises, his good promises to people who are going to live for the rest of their lives outside of their norm, their desired way of living, following God's mission for them, thriving where they're planted, trusting that they are part of a long-term plan that other generations will see come to pass. We need to keep that long-term eternal view. Principle number six, trust in God's plan for you. For some of you, you have heard this verse. I know many of you listening may have even posted it on Facebook as some great promise. But this is the context in which God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We like to pull this out of the story and pretend that what that means is, is that life is just going to flourish the way we want. God's plans for us are good. I'm laying claim to that. I'm naming it and claiming it. I'm going to prosper. Things are going to be great. When God said to the original listeners, I know the plans I have for you and they're good plans, those plans were to die in exile. But for that generation, it was the very best place they could be because it was God's good plan and purpose. This could be a season where you're really struggling with your faith because God isn't fulfilling the life you thought he would make for you. It's time to trust God's plan and allow Him to 
let you flourish in this season right where you are right now rather than losing your trust in Him. Principle number seven, set your heart on seeking God and He will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. God is still near. He's still waiting for us to reach and we can still find Him in this season. And I encourage you to do that. Well, that's the Old Testament principles. Seven of them that come from these instructions to a people in exile. In the Old Testament, the children of God were in exile because of disobedience. But when we move to the New Testament, the whole concept of exile and aliens uh, culturally takes on a whole different thing. In the New Testament, we are aliens and strangers in this world because we're on mission. It's an intentional, purposeful perspective for us to have. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul reminds us that our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. So in other words, as a Christian, I need to view myself first and foremost as a citizen of the kingdom of God, not a citizen of this world or any particular government, even the United States. I am first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. And what that makes me in this world is a foreigner, an alien uh, in the legal sense and an exile. Peter uses those very phrases in his first letter to Christians uh, to a in Asia Minor in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's just spend a few minutes here and let me land on a few other New Testament concepts for how to thrive in exile. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by Him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live instead as God's servants. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Let me just take a few minutes and run through three other principles for exiles on mission in a land where we are pilgrims and foreigners. Principle number eight, even now we are still called to holy lives. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I can imagine that this season of isolation has led some of us down a very dark path. And we're giving ourselves permission to allow for these things because frankly, nobody else knows. Nobody else is bothered by it. If it's not hurting anybody else, it's okay, isn't it? No, God calls you still to holiness right now because it matters to Him. 
matters to your relationship with him. It matters related to his ultimate goal for you, which frankly is not your comfort. God's goal for you is not comfort. He's after your character. His goal for you is your sanctification, and that remains still today. Principle number nine, we are still on mission. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. God has a plan for us that as we engage with the world around us, people see Jesus through us. And in the end, they become worshipers of Him. Everything you do is you interact with people. And right now, that may be on Zoom or on Facebook. Everything you post on Facebook, every argument you get involved in, every opinion you forward, every news that you forward just because it fits into your particular worldview, whether you've vetted it as true or not, all of these things are how the world sees you. And I need to ask you a question. Through what you're engaging in, will they in the end bring glory to God and become worshipers of Jesus? We are all still on mission. Let's shine a light brightly. I'm so grateful for many of you in our church body that are out there literally serving physically, volunteering, delivering food, serving in many ways. Let's continue to do that. And let's do it in such a way that people see the light of Christ in you. And then finally, and very importantly right now, principle number 10, be God, be good and godly members of society. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors and on and on. Why are we called to submit to the governance around us even though we're citizens of a greater kingdom that we ultimately answer to? We do it for the Lord's sake. Not because we agree politically or morally. We respect those in authority. It's a little hard for some of us, especially in Massachusetts, to talk not just about the governor and the local, but when Peter talks about the emperor little hard for some of us to think about respecting that figure right now in our way of thinking but it might put you to shame to think about that the emperor that Peter's referring to is Nero who burnt Rome killing thousands of his own citizens and then blamed the Christians and killed tens of thousands of innocent Christians in the most horrendous ways. It's that emperor that Peter says ultimately we pray for and we acknowledge the authority of that person. Again, here's another huge can of worms. You can talk about this in your life groups this week as you process this sermon. What is the balance to free speech and to honoring those that are only in the positions they are, whether we agree with them or not, whether they're godly and good people or not, because somehow and for some reason God allowed it and has an eternal purpose for it. We need to live in such a way that we don't create enemies of those who are meant to be the objects of God's love and grace. 
It's not our job to decide who doesn't get to hear the gospel because we're going to put them on the opposite side of what's right and what's wrong. And it's our job to always be in a position to share the reason for our faith with anyone, Paul says. I'm going to take a minute or two and just comment about churches that have chosen to disregard the directions of especially our governor who has asked us and given direction that we do not meet publicly. Because there is a place where Christians and other people, there are times when citizens practice civil disobedience. Does this rise to that level? Does this really rise to that level? Tim Keller says that sometimes civil disobedience is something that uh, we're doing for pride. We're doing for power, not really for God. And I, I just want to say that there is a place for Christians to come against society's rules. But I really like the way Tim Keller describes God's directive for this, which is very clear. The Bible gives a clear basis for civil disobedience. If the state commands what God forbids, or if the state forbids what God clearly commands, then civil disobedience is actually a Christian's duty. And I want to be really clear. This is not the time for that. Nothing that we're being asked to do rises to that level. We may have an opinion about it, we may confuse our civil liberties as citizens of America with our call of duty as citizens of the kingdom of God, but those are two very different things. And it's time for some of us to get clear about that and stop mixing the two. It's important for us to conduct ourselves in a godly way in this season above every season so that when people see us, in the end, they will glorify our Father in heaven. That ought to be our goal as we conduct ourselves in this society. Paul really rounds up this whole concept when he talks about us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as citizens of God's kingdom. We've used the phrase foreigners and exiles as Peter used them. But I love Paul's expression of our relationship to society when he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making this appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I love that image. I love the image that Christians begin to see ourselves as representatives of the kingdom of God. Formally, we are ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us that other people join that movement and become part of this great eternal blessed kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors. And what that makes the church as embassies of that kingdom, where we are, God is making his plea through us. Let us, as we engage in the political debate and the COVID-19 debate and the cultural moral debate, and as we reach out to people, let us remember that we are constantly, in everything we do, every word we say, we are Christ's ambassador and we are either pushing people away from that message or Christ is making his message through us and people are being reconciled to God. This is still the mission, people. God is still at work. 
And in fact, I believe that there is the possibility of a great harvest for the kingdom of God in this season if we don't just hunker down and fall away if we thrive in this season, right? So let's do that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for uh, principles in your word that are ancient and yet forever relevant. Forgive us, Father, for if we have chosen to create enemies out of people who you love, not spiritual warfare, not evil systems, not, not the spiritual realm that is our real enemy, but out of people just because they see things different than us. Forgive us for falling into that prey of villainizing people for a different ideology. This is, the, this is another false prophet that speaks that into us. May we see everyone as an object of your love. May we seize this moment. May we settle into it to trust your plan to be productive and to continue to enfold people into the loving kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.